This morning's reading is taken from 1 John 5, verses 1 to 12, uh, and that's pages 1, 2, 2, 8 in the Church Bible. Faith in the Son of God. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God, and everyone who loves the Father loves his child as well. This is how we know that we love the children of God, by loving God and carrying out his commands. This is love for God, to obey his commands. And his commands are not burdensome, for everyone born of God overcomes the world. This is the victory that has overcome the world, even our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world? Only he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. This is the one who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ. He did not come by water only, but by water and blood. And it is the Spirit who testifies, because the Spirit is the truth. For there are three that testify, the Spirit, the water, and the blood. And the three are in agreement. We accept man's testimony, but God's testimony is greater because it is the testimony of God, which he has given about his Son. Anyone who believes in the Son of God has this testimony in his heart. Anyone who does not believe God has made him out to be a liar because he has not believed the testimony God has given about his Son. And this is the testimony. God has given us eternal life. And this life is his son. He who has the son has life. He who does not have the son of God does not have life. It's good to have some visitors here this morning. And we've been pursuing now for quite a while a series in the book of 1 John. And if you turn to that... We'll be able to look at these verses together. John has not uh, exhausted all that he wants to say on this great subject that is so uh, important and vital to all of us, the subject of love. Even though he has mentioned it uh, at least six times already, Now John wants to take it up again. I want to use one illustration. The former previous Earl of Oxford uh, was Lord Asquith, and uh, he, as a military strategist, used this term that when we think of uh, military strategy, we need to think of it as like a cube. And he said uh, he called it cubical thinking. You can't see a cube from any one direction at any time. You need to look at it from this perspective and that perspective. Love is like that, with all of its vistas and variety. And that's all that we're trying to do. It's like a great composition, variations on on the same theme. And so love has been pursued throughout this short letter with light and life and working it out in, in a fallen world. Uh, look, look, for example, turn back one page in John chapter 2 and verse 5, and there he brings this in. If anyone obeys 
his word. God's love is truly made complete in him. God's word working in us. Chapter 3, verse 1. What a great verse this is. How great is the love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are because he's lavished his love upon us. You get to chapter 4 and verse 7. Dear friends, let us love one another for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God and so on. And chapter 4 and verse uh, 16, here it is again. And so we know and rely on the love God has for us. God is the very essence of love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in him. Do you see what he's saying? Pursuing this all the time. And now we come to it uh, uh, yet again here this morning. But this theme of love isn't something abstract. It, it is a relational love. It isn't simply obeying rules. It isn't really making an agreement to uh, a creed or a doctrine or the dictates of a church or whatever. It's a relational love that is to be lived out in an imperfect world by imperfect people like you and I. In a way we use this term, don't we? We're all, in varying degrees, a work in progress. So that every area of our lives, this love begins to impact in varying degrees. So I'd like to say just two things briefly. The first is uh, that John, with that overall theme of love, speaks about being born of God. And in a moment, I'm going to ask you a question, and it may well be that some of you might volunteer an answer. Uh, I know it's probably not ideal with so many here, but even so. Um, you see from uh, John chapter 5, verse 1, everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. Now the term born again has had very bad press. And I guess if the truth be known, it continues to do so. It is often received with suspicion and not a little derision. So here's the question. Here we are today. I might assume that uh, we have put our trust in Jesus Christ, and from time to time, we have opportunity to speak about him. Perhaps at work with a colleague, or with our wider family, or indeed even in church. So, let's, let me put this to you. You're speaking about your faith, maybe in response to somebody who asks you. So, here's the question. How many of you, how many of us, here this morning, and this will be a good question to take up in the home group as well, as we have the stimulus of this, uh, as, as we think about and pray it through together. How many of you would use this term when talking about your faith? How many of you, if somebody says to you, so you're, you're a Christian, and you would say, yes, um, I'm a born-again Christian. Would, would you, well, I'll tell you what we'll do. We'll do it the opposite. How many of you wouldn't use that term. Put your hands up. Don't be afraid, come on, because you'll have to do the other. Right. Okay. Um, did you put your hand up, Rob? You didn't. Okay. You did. Uh, okay. Very quickly. Why? Really? Any other reasons? No. I'm, yeah. 
Well, they don't know what uh, salvation means, but that's not a good enough reason for not talking. Okay. Uh. No, no, I'm... Okay, right. So, uh, do we have a fair bit of agreement? I mean, I'll say that people don't know what it means, but that applies to all things. Um, why don't we then rehabilitate this word? Why? I mean, Jesus used it. Excuse me, you're an elder. If Jesus used it, it's good enough for you, isn't it? Okay, okay, right. I know, I know. That's all right. And there's another elder up there too, so that's good. You, you go to right. So, okay. So the question is then: uh, If not, why not? And we've touched on that a bit. That's all very well to say, you know, perhaps cranks and malcontents, or perhaps um, whatever. Um, people have misused the word. But come on, people have misused lots of things. Think of people who have misused marriage. We want to rehabilitate that, reaffirm that. That's why people have certain celebrations in their lives. Lots of things. Well, here is John saying, you've been born of God. And it may well be that we should take this opportunity to say, you know, I know this word is our bad press, but you know, to be born of God is to put your trust in Jesus Christ and he comes to indwell you by his Holy Spirit. Now, that would make a good conversation. Because it's been misused or treated with suspicion or derision, in and of itself is not a good enough reason for not using it. Chances are, I guess, that most of us perhaps don't even talk about our faith at all, much less using this term, born again. The concept is a very biblical one. To be born of God is to be transformed inwardly and spiritually. To be indwelt by the Holy Spirit. And so what you have is, there's the verse, being born of God. And then verses 2 to 5 is, if you like, now let's live this out. Let's work it out together. Let's work it out where, a phrase that is often used in this pulpit, where we live, move and have our being. All that we have, let's work it out. What's its practical implication? Well, let me put a question to you again then. Okay. And it's right to do this. Now, you think of yourself, nobody else. Using this phrase, born again, is there any external evidence of this internal encounter? Born again is an internal encounter. Maybe if there was more external evidence in my life and yours, people would want to ask, what does it mean to be born again? Now, I, it's my job to challenge you with that, but it's to challenge myself as well. Born of God, the love of God, come to reside in my life, His Holy Spirit indwelling me, and the things I did before, I, I don't do anymore. And, and the things I did comfortably before, I do uncomfortably now. He's living in me indwelling me by the Holy Spirit. Jesus takes up residence in my life. It does make a difference when people from time to time come to live in your home. You've got guests and visitors. The way you go about the house is somewhat different. Have you noticed that? Well, that's what Jesus is like when he comes to live in our house. We're not uncomfortable, but you're aware of his presence. When he's in my life, I need to change. 
I need to change how I live, how I talk, what I'm comfortable with watching on the television, what I read, how I relate. The great Christian prayer, and I remember this so well when we had one of our leaders uh, retreats, and it's the first time I recall singing this song, Jesus, be the center, be the source of my life, be the fire in my heart, be the wind in these sails, be the reason that I live. Now, if we are to work that out, what an impact it would have on us and others. Let me put it like this then. If, and it's a big if, being born of God, born again, if Jesus is in the center, then surely, by definition, others are not. Surely. If before, self was residing or whatever, and now Jesus comes to be the, the, the center of my life, then others are going to take second place, or they're going to be pushed out onto the circumference. Surely you can see that. So if Jesus is at the center, well, others are not. That's not very clever, but it's true. Others are not. Money isn't anymore. I need it, but it's not at the center. There's a, there's a shift. Sex isn't anymore. It's there, but it's not the center now. It's not the whole rationale of why I'm here. Or power. Or self-image. It's there. But Jesus is at the center. These things have a different perspective. <coughs> If Christ is at the center, others are not. Can I put it to you like this? If God is on the margins of my life, think of that for a moment. If God is on the margins of my life, then I can call on him. I'll never forget somebody speaking to my father once and said that uh, he wasn't a, a religious man, but he'd been in trouble and he prayed. And uh, my father said, what, what, what was it all about? And he said, well, I said, God, help me out of this mess. I'll never bother you again. Now, that's not a very helpful prayer, is it? I mean, but that's how we treat God. He's, you see, if he's at the circumference, well, that's what he's for. Get me out of a mess. I mean, he's God, isn't he? he can, but, you know, I still want to live me, my, I, my life. That's the point. If God is on the margins, I can call on him. I can use him. And then I can forget him. And I can blame him when things go wrong, of course. I don't think that's very helpful. Though, I guess some of us maybe find ourselves doing this. I want to read a prayer to you that is called the Soldier's Prayer. And it illustrates this perfectly. I'm not su suggesting that it, it is wrong that we should call on God. It's not wrong that we should use God. We, we'll come to that. But here's an example. This was discovered on the dead body of an American soldier killed in action in North Africa in 1944. And through a series of circumstances being printed in a Tunis newspaper, subsequently through his friend, came to be printed in the British paper. And it's this. Here's a soldier praying. I'll read it to you. Look, God, I've never spoken to you, and now I want to say, how do you do? You see, God, they told me you didn't exist, and I, like a fool, believed all this. Last night, from the shell hole, I saw your sky. I figured that they had told me a lie. 
Had I taken time before to see things you had made, I'm sure I would know they were not calling a spade a spade. I wonder, God, if you would shake my poor hand. Somehow I feel you would understand. Strange, I had to come to this hellish place before I had time to see your face. Well, I guess there isn't much more to say. I'm glad, God, that I met you today. The zero hour will soon be here, but I'm not afraid to know that you are here. The signal has come. I shall soon have to go. I like you lots. This I want you to know. I'm sure this will be a horrible fight. Who knows? I might come to your house tonight. Though I wasn't friendly to you before, I wonder, God, if you would wait at your door. Look, I'm shedding tears. Me, me, shedding tears. Oh, how I'd wish I'd known you these long, long years. Well, I have to go now, dear God. Goodbye. But now that I've met you, I'm not scared to die. That's God on the fringe coming closer into the center. But the point of the second heading is this. That's all right, like the thief on the cross. But we need to live out God's love, not only I'm not afraid to die, I'm not afraid to live. Live out your love. That's the point on Remembrance Sunday. If God is at the margins, I can call on him. That's okay. But if God is at the center instead of me calling on him, using him, it's a reversal. He calls on me. He uses me. How willing am I? I'm born again. I'm his child. He's proud of me. Who am I to be ashamed of him? That's what it means to be born of God. And so we read in verse 5, Who is it that overcomes the world? Only he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. Well, the second thing, and perhaps a bit quicker, is this. Yes, born of God and believe in God. Believe in God. This term is used six times here. Believe in God. And when you get to uh, verse 10, for example, anyone who believes in the Son of God has this testimony in his heart Anyone who does not believe in God has not, has made him out to be a liar because he has not believed the testimony that God has given about his son. Believing is important. And John is making one supreme assumption here. And uh, Neil will be preaching this next week, but just to say this, and I hope that I'm making the same assumption today, and it's this. You see it in verse 13. Finally comes to the sort of the central reason why he's writing. And he says, I write these things to you who believe. He's not writing evangelistically trying to make them believe. He, they've come to faith already. They are born of God. They believe in him. The assumption, therefore, is this. That he has come to indwell my life. And he's going to make his influence felt in my heart, in my home, in my work, and in my community. It's not a private love affair, is it? I believe. John 
now focuses on the relationship of three fundamental elements so important to him. Faith, love, and obedience. And here requires not only something to be held to be true, to say, I believe, but something that we are committed to in our lives, in active obedience. God has taken up residence in me. A relationship has been established, one that needs a confession. And we've been thinking about that, a confession of faith. And there are these three historic facts that are the basis of entering into this fullness. Look at them very quickly. You see here in, um, where is it, verse 6 and 7. This is the one who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ. He did not come by water only, a reference to those who were denying his full deity. He said, at his baptism, the Spirit came on and he became the Christ. No, no. He came by water and the Spirit. And these great pivotal events in the life of Jesus. So the Son of God comes. He came through water baptism. And we were looking at this last Sunday in, our, in, in the All Age service. This is my Son whom I love. Listen to him. But he came also through the cross. Water and blood. The coming by water and blood is the basis of being born of God. And the Holy Spirit now continues to ratify and affirm that. Think of a court of law. And think of the Holy Spirit not saying, I promise that the evidence I shall give, holding the Bible in his hand. No, he is the truth and he says, I promise that the evidence I give, water and blood, speaks to you. And of course, the court is the world in which we live. That Jesus has come. When God entered into us, as we put our trust in Jesus, we were given that assurance. And so, yes, these historic events, these objective events, now these subjective. Christian assurance can be a very difficult thing from time to time. We might pray like, People, Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. And maybe there are things in our lives that we find difficult. Being born of God, believing in God. So let's try to round this off. The, th the, the third witness is the Holy Spirit, as you see it there in verse 6. He takes the witness stand. And he speaks the truth in the first person. He is the truth. Look at verse 7. For these are the three that testify. The spirit, the water, and the blood. And these are in agreement. As we come to faith, as we are indwelt by the Holy Spirit, so now the Holy Spirit continues to work in our lives, helping us to work out our salvation. And the way the Spirit works in us is different to different people. Some people have crisis experience, some people might have ecstatic uh, tongues and, and so forth. How he works is his sovereign will, not ours. Now, here's the danger. If the Spirit has been working in your life subsequent to being born of God, which he should be doing, don't make your experience the yardstick for other people. 
He might work in you differently to me, rightly so. But I'm sure you've known Christians who seem to assume because they've had a certain experience, everybody else should. How you came to faith is different to me. Well, don't make that the rule for everybody else. Some people might think that God lives in church and you have to come to faith in church. Do you see what I'm saying? The Holy Spirit comes to indwell us. Let's live out his life. He points to Jesus, his baptism. He's the Christ. He points to Jesus' blood. He died on the cross to save us. He points to his word to give us assurance. And so we read in verse 10, anyone who believes in the Son of God has this testimony in his heart. Have you that? Testimony in your heart. It's very subjective. I know. But somehow you might say, you know, I, I know I'm not a very good Christian and I, and I struggle and I keep slipping back and so on. But somehow I know. I know. Being born of God, believing in God, giving us blessed assurance. And so we conclude with these wonderful uh, verses in 11 and 12. And this is the testimony, the summing up of the Holy Spirit, as if on, at the bench in the court of law, God has given us eternal life. This life is in his Son. This is it. He was the Son has life. He does not have the Son of God, does not have life. Do you have this life? This life. In all of its fullness. Don't, don't keep God on the circumference and simply have this sort of call on him when you're stuck and then forget about him. How would you like people to do that to you? How would you like your children to do that to you? Or your husband, your wife, or your friend, or your colleague? What sort of a relationship is that? Surely it's not very good. Love him. Serve him, follow him, trust him.